Hey, Shabbat Shalom, everybody. Um, thank you for everybody coming. Um, we're going to go ahead and uh, go ahead and get straight into prayer before we get started. Um, so, God, we come before you. We pray that you come in our presence right now, that, God, you fill our, the midst, that, you, God, you fill our hearts, you fill our souls, you fill our minds to be receptive of your word, that, God, anything within us that needs to be removed will be removed, that, God, you will not let me speak any word that is not from you, that is from myself, that, God, you will remove it, that only you will speak your word through me and in me, that, God, you'll receive glory, that I will not speak a single word on my own will, on my own mind, my own heart, that God, each one of us will continue to draw closer to you and right now and in the days ahead. God, we desperately seek you. We de desperately seek your presence. We pray that you sanctify each one in here right now so we all may be glorified at your coming. You promise to those who believe and repent from their sins that God, you will be gracious to each one of us and we need your grace each and every day. Yeshua's name, amen. Okay. Um, in the days ahead, and even now, the believers will be worn out. Each one of us. If you're not, it's either one is apathetic or one is lazy. They, or they are building their own business, name and empire with the disguise of using God's name. Didn't Yeshua say, that one day they'll make him into a means of gain and profit. There are many false prophets working for profit ministries, churches, and organizations. The most obvious are those that use their first and last name with ministry attached to it. Truly in the days ahead, those speaking the loudest now will be silent. Those with the most followings and attention now will be silenced. Those who appear to, be, to have the words now that make you feel good and will be silenced later. Those who can't stop desiring praise from men as well as followings will be cut off and silenced. Many will become anxious, fearful, and restless for what is about to come upon the earth. Those truly speaking will not be heard until the final moments. Each one of us must have a word. A time is coming where you will not be able to buy or sell. A time is coming where all true teachers and prophets of God's word will disappear. Their ministries and churches will shut down seemingly overnight. As Amos said, a famine of God's word is coming. It's already here and it's been here. Yet the time is coming, he's gonna attack each of our desires and idols in our hearts. Yet even more in the days ahead, people will remain in comfort and security and go along with every agenda the government, media, and corporations and companies submit to and throw their way. People will submit to hold a form of security, lifestyle, and comfort after being worn down and tired. We're gonna be worn down and tired, but if you remain with God, you will not. Even when you're walking with him, you're gonna be worn down in your flesh. You're gonna be worn down. Not realizing that in, in everything that people submit, submit to will have greater judgment and plagues upon them in the days ahead. And everything people hold on to will result in the greatest loss of all, losing all that they love and possess and even worse, their health wealth and eternal separation from God. These are the serious times, yet we ignore the signs and seek various wonders of the world. Yet we do not see our heart's condition nor endure sound doctrine. Some of us do. 
Today the multitudes want what's sweet, easy, comforting, and pleasing. Any message or words outside of that are mocked and scoffed at. In simple terms, rejected and casted out of their minds and ears quickly turning to what is seeker-friendly. Sprinkle a little Torah on it or a little sugar. A little grace, some truth, which is really half truths, and then we have the perfect recipe for disaster. The time is drawing near. We're all will rush to teachers, pastors, rabbis, and ministers saying, give me a word, and it will be a false one. When people finally realize that their hearts and emotions will fail them for fear, they will run to the true teachers and pastors they have rejected saying, give us a word from God. Yet who will have a word? Weren't there only 7,000 out of 2 million in Elijah's day? Just near 2 million. That's 0.3% to 1% of the population. It appears very few will hear from God and the saddest part today is we believe that what is growing in numbers and popularity, that God is moving and his blessings are, are becoming a part, that God is actually blessing us, and it's actually the opposite. Times we're in, take it as grace, not judgment, unless you're in sin. You see, Obadiah hid 50 prophets in the cave and another 50 in another cave and fed them water food and water and kept them from being put to death from Jezebel and Ahab. Elijah just defeated 850 false prophets and had them put to death. He made the altar and used numbers according to the design and instructions that God gave, which was pleasing to God. Without following God's exact instructions, the fire will not come. Without full devotion and obedience to God, he will not speak. Nor will the fire consume one, nor will the sacrifice of one's life be pleasing to him. Like Elijah, if your devotion to God is not to praise and glorify, is, is to glorify your name, praise and glorify your name, but rather to glorify God's name, but everything called to God or worship, you'll see the miracles of God and defeat all enemies and false prophets. All right, brother, you may, you may stop. But let's go on to, look at here. If we go on to 1 Kings 18, 42 for 46. Look what he says. 42 for 46. He says, so Ahab went to up to eat and drink. But Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, crouched on the ground and put his face between his knees. Then he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. So he went, looked and said, there's nothing. Look at here. He said, there's nothing. Then he said, go back seven times. And it was the seventh time that he said, look, a small cloud of a, like a, as a man's hand is rising over to sea. Whose hand is that? Then he said, go up, say to Ahab, harness your chariots and go down before the rain stops you. In a little while, the sky grew black with clouds and wind and there was a heavy rain. Ahab mounted and rode and headed to Jezreel. Now the hand of Adonai was on Elijah, so he girded up his loins and outran Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Look at here. Let's go to 1 Kings 19 through 1 through 21. Now notice that he birthed, he went up and birthed in prayer. It was an anguish, it was an fervent prayer that he went back seven times to pray so that God would bring the rain just as he did so that it would stop raining. Why do you think he prayed so to stop raining? Because he was trying to get people to return back to God. That's why he was praying so that the blessings would stop, so that people would return back and at a given time, the blessings would come. 
You see, if we go to 1 Kings 19, 1 through 21, look what he says. Then Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. This is after he just defeated the false prophets, 850 of them, of, of uh, Baal and Asherah. All they had done and how he slain all the prophets with the sword. So it would be the results of every false prophet in the days ahead. Then Jezebel had sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me. Notice the gods and worse, if by that time tomorrow, I don't make your life like the life of one of them. You think Jezebel cared or Ahab cared about those false prophets? No, they were deceived. These false prophets, listen to me. Listen to me. These false prophets were men and and women, uh, men, men of God, basically, that were basically converted to another way, another message. They were deceived by Jezebel, seduced. So look what he says, frightened. He got up and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, he left his servant there, but himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. Look what, he went to the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom bush. He prayed that he might die. It's too much, he said. Look at, notice he said, he prayed that he would die and said it was too much. Now Adonai, take my life for I am no better than my father's. Then he lay down and slept under the broom bush. Then behold, an angel touched him and said to him, get up and eat. So he looked and to his surprise, there by his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. There you go back, the wilderness again. God knows how to feed you in the wilderness. He will feed you. Look what he says. And he lay down again. Then the angel of Adonai came again a second time, touched him and said, get up and eat. Because a journey is too much for you. So he arose and ate and drank. And in the strength of that meal, 40 days and 40 nights went to Horeb, right where Moses went to. In the wilderness, Yeshua went 40 days and 40 nights. Look what he says, Horeb, the mountain of God. When he arrived, there was a cave. Verse nine, spent the night there. Then behold, the word of Adonai came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? I have been very zealous for Adonai, Zavayot. He said, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant torn down your altars and slain your prophets with the sword and I alone am left. Can't we feel like that? We can become very zealous for God and in the days we can feel alone. Many times we can feel alone. Look at that. Look at that. What are you doing here, Elijah? I've been zealous for Adonai Zavayot. He said, for the children of Israel, for the people of God's household, the church, the believers have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars and slain your prophets with the sword. And I alone left. And he says, and they are seeking my life to take it. Enemies can rise up against us. And we say, well, God, what am I to do now? I've been zealous. God, don't you love me? I've been zealous for your Torah. I've been zealous for your word. I've been zealous for the people. And I feel like I'm the only one left. He said, come and, he said, take my life, God. In verse 11, Then he said, come out and stand on the mount before Adonai. Behold, Adonai was passing by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and shattering the cliffs before Adonai. But Adonai was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But Adonai was not in the earthquake. This destroys new age today. (laughs) He's not earth, wind, and fire. (laughs) 
After the earthquake, a fire, but Adonai was not in the fire. After the fire, there was a soft whisper of a voice. That's what he is. You want to hear God? He's a soft whisper of a voice. Now look what he says. As soon as Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle, went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then all of a sudden, a voice addressed him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? There he asked him again. I have been very zealous for Adonai Zavayot. He said, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. Turn, torn down your altars and I slain your prophets with a sword and I alone am left. And they're seeking to take my life. We can be very zealous with the sword. We can be very zealous with preaching God's word and still feel like we're the only ones left. Like we're the only ones left. Like, God, is anybody hearing it? Is anybody hearing it? I've been very zealous for your word. Where are you, God? Why do I feel like I'm alone? Then I said to him, go and return your way to the wilderness. Look what he's saying, Call, calling him out. Will you obey me? We can hibernate, but God's going to ask you again, what are you doing here? Look what he's saying. Went to, to the way of the wilderness of Damascus, and when you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram, and anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king of, over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, of Abel, Meholah, as prophet in your place. It shall come to pass that whoever escapes from the sword of Hazel, Jehu will slay. And whoever escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha will slay. Yet I have preserved 7,000 in Israel. There's a 7,000 who have not taken a bow to a knee to bow, bow to a knee to bow, have not bowed to, these have not bowed to bow. <laughs> and whose mouth has not kissed him. Look at that. Whose mouth hasn't said praise, whose mouth hasn't said worship, whose mouth hasn't glorified another God. You may have done that, but you have come out. You may have done that in the past, but you have been made new. But today, look what he says. Remember I said at the beginning, 0.3%, the 1% during that time, follow God. Out of nearly 2 million. Look what he says. So he departed from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. While he was plowing with 12 pairs of oxen before him, and he's with the 12th, then Elijah crossed over to him and threw his mantle on him. So he left the oxen and ran after Elijah, saying, let me please kiss my father and my mother, and then I'll follow you. Look what he says. Let me kiss my mothers and fathers, my mother and father, then I will follow you. How many can do that today? My gosh, we can hardly leave our town or city to do the God's will. We're too comfort, secure. God forbid we go state lines or across to another country. <laughs> Some of you need to let your families go. Those who love their fathers, mothers, and more than me, they're not worthy to follow me. Doesn't mean you reject them and hate them, but you got to follow God. Honor him. You respect your parents, but you honor him first. Brother, I don't like what you're speaking right now. Your parents, some of you are letting your parents take you away from the glory of God and the will that he has for your life. Do his will. Maybe if you leave your family, they will actually see God's glory and finally come at the last moments, maybe sooner. He left his auction, ran after Elijah, saying, let me please kiss my mother and fa father and mother, and then I'll follow you. Come back, he said to him, for what have I done to you? So he returned from following him. 
and took the pair of oxen, sacrificed them, boiled their flesh with the oxen's yoke gear and gave it to the people. Look what that. Then he ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and became his attendant. Now look at here. Can some of us become distraught over and or overwhelmed by enemies rising against us? Then Yeshua do so in the garden, knowing what was about to occur. Then he say, take this cup from me, not my will, but yours. Then afterwards, sweat blood from deep anguish and distress. Elijah journeyed into the wilderness and prayed that he might die. Don't you, don't you think that Yeshua was ready to die when he spent 40 days and 40 nights like Elijah did? Don't you think Moses was ready to die when he left Egypt and all his pleasures, including willing to be blotted out of the book of life to go to hell on account for rebellious people? Like Moses, he was also concerned over God's name being profane. For if God wiped out all the people, the enemies would say, their God was strong enough to deliver them. Likewise today, they'll say, God isn't strong enough to deliver you from sin. Look how the church is profaning his name and keep on sinning and sinning and sinning. Look at the idols in their life. Why do you think most people want to run from the church and go to another? Because there's no God in that church. They're not keeping the commandments. There's no zeal. There's no love for it. You see, people, the enemies would say their God wasn't strong enough to deliver them. You see, Yeshua, Moses, and Elijah were concerned about God's name being revered. People glorifying, worshiping, and fearing him and doing only his will. Here we see a good example of Moses, the Torah, the law, Elijah, the prophets, and Yeshua, the Torah, and the prophets, truth and grace being magnified and fully revealed. Many times in our lives, we feel like giving up and dying. One should not suffer on account of sin, but by the grievance of the world, the church, the people. After our greatest victories, we must be ready to face the greatest battles. Every time I go anywhere, on a missions, anytime, even after every time I preach a sermon, every time I, it, it, the devil's coming. I got to be close to God. Because every single time he comes, he speaks all kinds of lies. He's coming to your mind. He's going to hit your mind, guys. The greatest battles. <laughs> Many times we feel like giving up. We can, we can, giving up and dying, one should not suffer and count of sin but the grievance of the world. And after our greatest victories, we face the greatest battles. This is a repeating cycle throughout the entire Bible. It's not time to relax, but to gird up your loins and prepare for rain showers, which Elijah said is signified refreshing and blessing of the soul. Followed by a hard journey to hear God's voice in seclusion with God followed by testing in the wilderness before coming to the cave. The cave is a place of refuge like Lot fled Saddam to dwell in a cave, not the city. And like David fled from Saul, his enemies to dwell in a cave. It is a place of preparation like the garden before preparing one's souls for the battle and harvest ahead and a place of death. Elijah prepared one man, Elisha, after dwelling in a cave, not eating for 40 days and nights. Shouldn't we be focused on an individual more than the multitude's following? Multitudes following is not following God. It's always been given over to two opinions, two doctrines, two beliefs. <laughs> Yeshua never forced followers. He said, those who have ears, let them hear. And anyone who wants to follow me must deny themselves, pick up their cross and follow me. 
But haven't the multitudes always gone astray and been found following another God throughout history? Elijah believed he was the only one, only prophet in human left who followed God. And after being very zealous for him and his covenants and seeing all the miracles and wonders God has done, can't we also come to this point in our lives? Especially when everyone is against you and doesn't listen to the message or they don't want to hear? You got to be merciful. God said, I preserve 7,000 who have not taken the need of bow. Who's whose mouth has not kissed him. Again, there's the 7,000, around 2 million around Israel during that time. 0.3, the 1% of the population truly served God. It was a dark era, just as it is right now, where many professed to serve the true living God, yet ultimately wavered between two opinions. As Elijah said in 1 Kings 18, 21, how long will you waver between two opinions? If I deny his God, follow him. And if Baal is God, follow him. But the people did not answer to him, not even a word. USA, in USA, if you go, go basically look at how many people are professing Christians, Protestants. That equals about 270,000 to 1 million. In the world, 1.8 million to 6.1 million. I'm saying the road gets narrower. The gate is narrow and very few find that. We got to all make sure that we are humble. Likewise, we can often waver between two beliefs, two doctrines, two lifestyles, double-minded and two-faced. We try to bring down fire from heaven by our own methods or worship and servanthood to God while dancing, singing, praying, believing the fire will come or has come. Yeah, it's not the true living God without the power from heaven to be brought down to burn the flesh like the flesh of a bull on the altar of God. There is no God in one's life. Yeshua said, I baptize them in spirit and fire. That fire should be kindled and set, the, the, set ablaze in the spirit, overcoming the works of the flesh. Burning the mantle and control, that's controlling one's life and not looking back to gain more in life. Yeshua said in Matthew 19, 29, that if every, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or wife or children or fields, for my name's sake will receive hundred times as much and will inherit the eternal life. I'm not telling you just abandon your wife. I'm not telling you just abandon people and just forsake your responsibilities. What I'm saying is seek the kingdom of God first. Some of you have spouses that are in, in mothers and fathers, again, that are holding you back from doing the will of God. Maybe if you actually loved your spouse more, someone's watching right now, is maybe if some of you love your spouse more, and respected them instead of Torah, 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 and bashing it over your spouse's head, maybe they would actually come and, expect, and love you and come to your way and hear the grace of God. Be merciful. Some people have gone through hard times. They've had a bad life, a hard life. Some people have been abused, neglected, raped, molested in the name of Jesus. So what do you, what do you expect? They don't want to come to something else when you look like you're just being legalistic. There's no mercy and compassion. Like Elisha, he left all and kissed his mother and father by, burnt the animals on the altar as a sacrifice and fed people from the meat. The meat, look at that. To others, which signifies the word and his money and job and left his field and family to follow Elijah, a man of God. Elijah asked for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. And Elijah said, if you see me leave, God will grant it to you. As a result, Elijah performed approximately eight miracles, 
Elisha performed approximately 16 in double portion. Let me go back to here a second. God just told me, um, some of you, you won't leave your family. It doesn't, I'm not saying to divorce and suddenly go off another way. I'm saying you won't leave to go out due to God's work because you're too busy trying to live in the comfort and security, too busy to lose money at your job. You won't get out. But I got to make this. I got to do this. God is saying to do this, and you wonder why you don't have the presence of God. You get jealous over those who do. The reality today is that many want the anointing of God, and instead of sacrificing their life to God and giving up their lives, they want to give the minimal sacrifice to God and expect the greatest increase. But instead of dying, many want to live and become jealous over those who with a great anointing that wonder why they have not the presence of God nor being useful in his field. They want to work their field. The truth is, it's field of the world. The truth is, many are not willing to give up their field and lifestyle of living. They want to pick and choose the field they sow seed in and how to plow their field without burning the mantle of the world and going where God says to sow seed and reap a harvest like Elijah and Elisha. In fact, in the parable in Matthew 25, 24 through 25 says, then the one who had received one talent also came up and said, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, reaping where you didn't sow and gathering where you scatter no seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. Likewise today. Today, many are not using their talents according to God's purpose and plan, but according to what they believe God's desires for their life. Many are afraid. Many are anxious and worried. Many are too busy eating and drinking rather than being concerned about the will of God. Others are perishing and dying and, and serving only God and not wavering between the world and serving God. Baal and Asherah represents the world. You can't serve God in money. You can't serve wealth, health, prosperity, and building your business and career and gain in this life and put God secondary and believe he's first in one's life. Look, I'm not telling you you can't have a business. I can't tell you, telling you you don't have to work hard. I'm telling you to, you can do that. But is your heart on God or is it on that stuff first? Is it on achievements and gaining success or is it on God? Good. Otherwise, you waver between two gods and self in the world and the true living God. Elisha didn't look back. He didn't look back either like Lot's wife, desiring what she had in the other city, desiring what she had in the comfort and securities of home. She didn't want to go to the cave right now. She wanted to stay in the city. Likewise, Elijah didn't remain in a cave of seclusion, refuge, and comfort, and anguish all day. He did it. God told him to go, and he went. He listened to the voice of God and waited for direction to finish out the calling of his life and not being sidetracked or distracted in the process. Let's move along. <clears throat> now Saul sought to kill David out of jealousy. Saul's pride and selfish ambition. But David kept fleeing with his men instead of fighting Saul. I'm gonna, this is mercy and compassion. This is, this is going to get really deep. Okay. 1 Samuel 23, 14. So David stayed in the strongholds of the wilderness, remaining in the hill country in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul searched for him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. Look at that. God did not give David into Saul's hand. He was protecting him. David went to the wilderness. Look at this. He went into the cave. Look. Well, in 1 Samuel 24, 3, 
Look what he says. Okay. Do you mind how I get that from her? Thank you, brother. Um, Saul came to the cave of Engedi, where David and his men were hiding. Yet we know Saul and his men fell asleep. While David's soldiers told him to kill Saul because he was, it was the day Adonai spoke to you about. Look, he's told. Look what he says. He told Saul, the men told David, look, God gave you Saul today. This is the day that Adonai has said. This is the day that Adonai gave you to kill Saul. Some of you will come. This is your day to reap vengeance on your enemies. This is your day to seek revenge to your enemies, to kill your enemies in your heart. But look what he said. It was the day Adonai spoke to you about. David cut off a small part of the garment while he slept. And in his conscience, he felt bad. He's cut off a small garment, a small garment of Saul. Then after Saul awoke and left the cave, David called out to him. You see, Saul felt terrible and said David was more righteous than him. David, my son, is that you? David, Saul always hated David when they were apart. But when they were near, he felt compassion. Now mindful, after he said David was more righteous than him, he just killed 85 men who were priests. None of those were, who were in God's household would raise a sword with, that were with Saul. Yet a gentle Edomite did without conscience. A Gentile did not know God's ways, followed Saul, an Edomite. That was not in the covenants. He just, without conscience, killed 85. But now David tells Saul, why are you chasing after me? A dead dog, a single flea. That's how you should respond to your enemies. Saul started repenting because he saw David was, did not return hatred or revenge upon Saul. Now, I did not make a slide. God gave me this to me this morning. But look at here. In 1 Samuel 22, 2, look what he says. Anyone who was in distress, anyone in death, anyone embittered, rallied around him, David. Distress, masak, masak. Is anguish and stress. Embittered is mar. It's bitter of, it's bitter. It's of water or food, end of harlotry or wickedness, cry or pain. Does this make sense? Anyone that followed David was distressed, ended wickedness. They're crying in pain. They're in anguish. Stress at the conditions in the world around them and in them. And look at this, anyone in debt that was in debt that was not being given to the kingdom of God, that those that did not have the righteousness and the glories and the riches of the kingdom, they're those in debt, whether physically or spiritually. Look at verse seven. Saul said to his courtiers standing with him, listen now, Benjamites. Benjamites was the youngest of the tribes. Would a son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he make all of you captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? Look at that. The devil tempts power, gain, riches, jealousy, desire for, desire for obtain, and to withhold or to withhold something. You want to keep hold of something. The devil will tempt you. So follow these men over here. Follow Saul over here. 
Because this man says, I'll give you power. I'll give you fields. I'll give you vineyards. Do you see where this is representing? But those that followed David, the man righteous, they didn't have no power. They had nothing. They followed him. They were in depth, distress and anguish. They ended wickedness. Those in wickedness followed Saul. Now look at here. Let's go to Matthew 27, 28 through 31. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe around him. This is Yeshua. And after braiding a crown of thorns, they placed it on his head and put a staff in his right hand. This is, this is why David had, a, David had a heart of God. This is why. Look at look, look right here. And falling on their knees before him, they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They sped on him. They took the staff and beat him over, the, over and over on the head. They finished mocking him. They were stripped of robe off of him and put his own clothes back on him. And they led him away to crucify him. Look what it says in Matthew 27, 57 through 60. Now, when it was evening, there was a rich man. This is after Yeshua died on the cross. Look what he says. From Arimathea, named Joseph, who had also become a disciple of Yeshua. Notice is a rich man, but look at his heart. It doesn't matter where you're rich or poor, look at the heart. This man went to Pilate and asked for Yeshua's body. Then Pilate ordered it to be given up, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth. And he laid it in his own new tomb, the one he soon out. It was, a, it was in a cave, which he had cut in the rocks. Then he rolled a large stone up the door in the tomb and went away. Look at here. Yeshua suffered in the wilderness, died in the garden, and obeyed God in great pain, and suffered on the cross of receiving lashes, stabbed beaten on the head, mocked, beaten, and ridiculed. He was laughed at. His own words repeated to him. The things that you speak will be repeated to you by the mockers and scoffers. To him in a jeering, laughing manner, they'll laugh at you. Being stripped naked at thorns pressed on his head. Rejected the wine given to him, which would have been a concoction of Roman vinegar. Wine, which would have dulled the senses in pain. Pay attention. Pay attention. It would have dulled the senses in pain. Which would have made his crucifixion easier. He didn't want an easy crucifixion. He wanted a hard one. He wanted to go through all the pain and suffering. One of the side effects of crucifixion was, was extreme thirst due to bodily fluid loss, through open wounds and intense sweating, and perspiration. The only reason he took the second sip of vinegar was because his lips and mouth were so dry that he needed the moisture to say the final words before immediately dying. Your mouth is so dry that you, you just needed a little bit of vinegar, not to drink it, but to get the moisture in your mouth to speak the last word. It is finished. It is finished. He was put into a tomb, a cave where he died and resurrected. The cave is a place of death and a place of rest. The cave, if you die, you'll have true rest. Everyone, if you die, you'll have true rest. Die in your flesh, you'll have true rest. It's a place of resurrection before and taken into eternal life. 
It's a place where you can't bring nothing in except with you except your garments. Is your garments clean? Or they stained and blemished? It's a place where Elijah wrapped his garments around his face before approaching the voice of God. Your garments must be clean. It's also a place where he de- the dead rise. They raise and the righteous praise. Cave is a place where everyone will go, but not everyone will know. The cave is a place where everyone will go, but not everyone will know. It's a place where everyone will die, but not everyone resurrect into the kingdom. The cave is a place where the worldly avoid, but the righteous thrive. Isn't it interesting that in Revelation 6, 5, 15, that the rich slaves, the great men, and tried try to hide in the caves, but things coming upon the earth. But why won't they repent and go to the cave now? Why will many remain in the world without discovering the wilderness? Why won't many be, fervently pray in the garden and die there? Why won't many take the journey like Elijah 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness before entering the cave? Or like Moses journeyed the wilderness before going up the mountain of toil before Exodus 33, 32, where God put him in the cleft of the rock or a cave until he, he seen his presence. Or like Yeshua who journeyed in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights overcoming all temptation and suffering before he journeyed the trail of toil bearing a cross while leaking blood and suffering great pain and disfiguration until being crucified and put into a cave, a tomb. Look at here. Go to the next one. Hebrews 11, 37 through 40. Others experience the trial of mocking and scourging, yes, and even chains in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were murdered with the sword. They went around in sheepskins and goatskins. They were destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered around in deserts and mountains and caves and holes. And all these, though commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised. Because God had provided something better for us. So that only with us would they reach perfection. And it's through his spirit that we can reach perfection. Does this make sense? Look at here. Romans 5, 1 through 5. Look what he says. Therefore, having been made righteous by trusting, we have shalom with God. Through our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, through him we also have gained access by faith into the grace in which we stand and boast in the hope of God's glory. And not only that, but we boast in suffering. Knowing that suffering produces perseverance. Someone, someone has not suffered yet, but you're going to. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Ruach HaKodesh, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit who has given to us. Look what he says in Romans 8, 1 through 18. Therefore, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Messiah Yeshua. For the law of the spirit of life in Messiah Yeshua has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what was impossible for the Torah, the law, since it was weakened on account of the flesh, God has done. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as a sin offering. He condemns sin in the flesh so that the requirement of Torah might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the rock, the spirit. 
For those who have lived according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. They set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the rock, set their minds on the things of the rock, the Spirit. For the mindset of the flesh is death. The mindset. But the mindset of the rock is life and shalom. It's life and peace. For the mindset of the flesh is hostile towards God. For it does not submit itself to the law of God, for it cannot. It's rebellious. It cannot. So those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, this is not to justify the law is done away with. The law is not done away with. It's within you. The new covenant says it's written on your heart and your mind. Either that's, that's yours or it's not. A lot of familiar spirits out there. You got to make sure you're in the Holy Spirit. Remember Simon the sorcerer. Simon the sorcerer was a man who, who, who was baptized, but he didn't have the spirit. He believed. He said, I believe, but he didn't have the spirit. And remember, he was jealous over what the disciples had. Jealousy will always shut out the presence of the Holy Spirit. Envy will always shut out the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now look what he says. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the rock. If indeed the rock Elohim dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the rock of Messiah, the spirit of Messiah, he does not belong to him. But if Messiah is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the rock of the one who raised Yeshua from the dead dwells in you, the one who raised Messiah Yeshua from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. There's a rock who dwells in you. There's everlasting life. So then, brothers and sisters, we do not owe anything to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Remember Galatians 5, 19 through 21. You go back at 16. Those who live according to the flesh will reap of the flesh. They will not enter the kingdom of heaven. If this is your heart and mind, this, the spirit of God must transform you, change you, and sanctify you until his coming. So if you glorify like him, pay attention. Pay attention. It's good. Now look here. Look it. For if you live according to the flesh, you must die. What do you think Yeshua came to do? Spirit in you, spirit in you, so that you may live according to his ways. Look what he says. But if by the rock you, you put the death, the deeds of the body, you shall live. You put the death, that's what the spirit's for, to put the death, the deeds of the flesh. So you must have a power in the presence of God right now. For you did not receive, for all, all who are led by the rock, the Elohim, the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall again into fear, which is sin. Sin produced condemnation and produces fear, produces shame and guilt. Spirit of God came to give you life so that you don't have to live in that. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall into fear. Rather, you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father, waiting for him. Durak himself bears witness with our, our spirit that we are children of God. You will know. And if children also hairs, hairs of God and joint hairs with Messiah, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may be also glorified with him, you must go through the life that he lived. If you don't, you don't love him. He says, if you pick up your cross, follow me, you will have everlasting life. Believe in him. But how can you believe in him when you say, I don't want the cross, he already did it for me. 
He already bored it. I don't need to bear nothing. I can party all day. He said that it would be like the days of Noah, rivalry, eating, drinking, unconcerned about their heart's condition, unconcerned about the wet days we're in. For I consider, I, I'm not saying you can't go out and enjoy family. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you can't go out, enjoy life, walk in a park, do something. But if this is all your heart is set on every single week, something's wrong. Rather than the presence of God. Look what he is, verse 18. For I consider the sufferings of this present time not worthy to be compared with the coming glory to be revealed to us. Look at that. We should be eagerly waiting and groaning for him. We must ask ourselves, what is truly trusting in faith? Trusting alongside faith does not set our hopes on the world or the things in it. It does not take comfort and security in what we can touch, nor what we can see. It does not fear death nor losing one's belongings. It has no ownership of its own. It does not worry about the future nor willingly sin. It is humble, forgiving, perseveres all, and suffers all things. It leaves the world to often walk alone. It faces mocking and scoffing. It knows this life is temporary and looks for the eternal. It trusts in what it cannot see, but rather hopes in. One who lives by the trusting faithfulness cannot lose anything. For one who has already lost one's life, so that what can one lose? For the more that is taken away in this life, the more one has. While the more one holds on to, the more one has, the more death one receives. This makes sense. 1 John 2, 15 through 17, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the boasting of life is not from the Father, but from the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. Now look at here. The bow is the pride of life is saying, look at my achievements, look at my gain, and you have to show people what you've done. Look at my house, look at my car, look at how much money I'm making. These are the pride of life, desires of the flesh, the things that you're chasing after, striving after, running after, racing after, and you're fighting and, and, and competing with everybody in order to race of the world rather than God's kingdom. It's not a race to God's kingdom. You should be trying to hold everybody, bring it with you. I bring them to a job. God, you know, I served you. I loved you, you know. But um, I may have made a million dollars, but God, look what I did for you. He'll say, I didn't know you. Where was your heart? You spent all your time and effort. He's going to show you a replay of your life and say, look at your life. Look what you did. You spent your time here, here, and here. You spent your time in social media here, websites here. You spent your life at your job here. You're striving after more and more and more. And he says, look at you. When did you give me time? But God, I went to church. I did this. I gave a little bit of time. He says, son, you won't even call you son. I didn't know you. How can one say they love God yet still love the world? Likewise, how can one say they love their brothers and sisters yet they still have not forgiven or prayed for their enemies or those who willfully keep sinning? If there's idols in your hearts, God's presence cannot remain. Just like the temple, God, the Spirit didn't come when there's idols in there or sacrifice a pig meat. Sadly, the many people that were serving the priests over and over, they didn't even know that the Spirit left. The cloud of glory was gone. Likewise today, 
Some don't even know the spirit has left. You want to know why you're not hearing from God? Because there's something clogged up. It's like a toilet. It's like a drain if it needs to be clogged up. If you're sitting there watching your TV, which I know you shouldn't have a TV, but you're sitting up in your living room, but if you're sitting here, this satellite doesn't have connection, you're going to sit there and try to figure out. You're going to be on the phone. Instead of calling God, why is there no connection? Trying to seek him. You seek satellite company. Where is the connection? I'm not getting, I can't watch my stupid sports. I'll move along. God says in 1 John that they have never seen him or known him. For truly, if one have caught a glimpse of his glory and received the indwelling spirit, there will, there will be groaning for the presence of God. Not the presence of God, man claims. For the majority of the professing church has never entered the garden of fervency and anguish, nor treaded the laborious perseverance of suffering in the wilderness, nor entered the cave of death and retreat from the world. For many are yet to be crucified, but the crucifixion of Messiah... Too many has become a sense of an imaginary movie like Hollywood portrays or a cute little reenactment of passion plays in a church which has no power to save. To get a little bit of emotion, it was only two to three years ago, right back to sin because they have been discipled. But people were, came to the altar and they confessed and gave up their life. Yeah, did they? What about three years from now? Are they still enduring? They're going through the sufferings. The sufferings, if you're gonna follow God, you get into the covenants with him, the testing will come. It's not if, it will come. Sometimes you may stumble. He'll allow these people to stumble to come back, but maybe they'll go off altogether. Three or four seeds. Three seeds fell away in Matthew 13. One remained and continued producing fruit. Look at here. For men are playing, but not allowing him to live through them. For they refuse to be crucified with him or truly see the death of an agonizing man on a cross. If we truly believed to see a man crucified on the cross, we would give up our entire life. Yet because we are yet to see the death of a man on the cross, we cry like an emotional movie. In theaters or our living room, they go right back to playing games like gambling with his clothes to where, where, where he, the garments that he wore. Of a man named Yeshua Jesus who we don't truly believe in. Those truly speaking the word of God that can change and convict us Many often mock the prophets, scoff at the crucifixion, hunt God's chosen in the cave like Saul did David, desiring to silence, slander, and put to death the words of God on the altar. Alter this image of ungodliness and claim it's Yeshua crucified on the cross. We change and alter the image of God into ungodliness and claim it's Yeshua crucified on the cross. And the meanwhile, burning the Holy Bible and recreate and reprint it into our own liking to whatever suits our passions and desires and caters to our compromised, lukewarm lifestyle appearing holy while attending churches and synagogues while brandishing the marks of Yeshua like a tattoo on the outside. Yet it's not marked inside our hearts. Truly, many today have heard the stories of God, yet that's all they are, another story which we claim to believe in, but it's like the dead church worships Easter bunnies instead of Passover and smothers bacon grease under their pork, fat, their pork fat and ham instead of Passover lamb and resurrects Santa Claus instead of Yeshua in their hearts. It becomes like a fake idolatrous fairy tale, like Star Wars and Avengers, which many Christians bring into their stupid church. 
We wonder why our world is so screwed up, why our kids are over here drunk and sleeping around with everybody, why they have no power because they don't have the presence of God. Because mommy and daddy was too busy going off their jobs, making money. Meanwhile, their kids are being sacrificed to Molech, put through the fire saying, this is the Holy Spirit fire. Because we put them through idolatry and let, put them in front of things that, will, that takes us, them away from the presence of God. You think they're going to believe in Jesus when they get older? You're over here Santa Claus. He knows when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you're in bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. And little Easter bunnies that play eggs that came from the pagan gods. But we don't worship God. We treat God as the same way than sprinkle a little Jesus sugar into a dead, unbelieving faith. May we all be crucified and have the true revelation of our Savior and Master Yeshua the Messiah catch a glimpse of the eternal kingdom. 1 John 3, 1 through 9. Look what he says. <laughs> See how glorious a love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children, and so we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Loved ones, now we are God's children, and it has not yet been revealed what we will be. But we do know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him because we will see him just as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone practicing sin is also practices lawlessness. Indeed, sin is lawlessness. You know that Yeshua appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who sins has seen him or known him. It's that willful sin. You may make mistakes, but your heart should be green. Listen to me. It's, it's that desire. It's that desire that you should keep on doing what's pleasing to God, not going back to the same sin that God has supposedly delivered you from. You may have sometimes these struggles in your life, but you got to put it on the altar and burn it. Let it burn. Walk in the Spirit so you don't gratify the works of the flesh. You know that Yeshua appeared in order to take away sins, and, there is, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who sins has seen him or known him. Children, let no one mislead you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous. It's the heart's condition. Just as Yeshua is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Ben Elohim appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God practices sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot sin because he is born of God. This makes sense. There's going to be someone out there, someone that's going to watch this. And they're going to say, but that's not really what it means. Okay, then go to your dead pagan church then. That doesn't want to bring you to the kingdom and righteousness of God. Doesn't want to bring you to his glory, the presence of the Holy Spirit. What it keeps you in dead works. He said, let no one mislead you. Uh, buddy, do you mind turning that on and pushing record? Thanks, buddy. Um, look at here. Romans 6, 5 through 11. Let's go to Romans 6, 5 through 11. We're almost getting done. For if we have become joint together in the likeness of his death, Certainly, we also be joined together in his re resurrection, knowing our old man was crucified with him so that the sinful body might be done away with so no longer we serve sin. No longer is to serve sin. 
For he who has died is set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Messiah, we believe that we shall also live with him. We know that Messiah, having been raised from the dead, no longer dies. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So also continue to count yourselves both dead to sin and alive to God and Messiah Yeshua. Does this make sense? If we have been crucified with him and brought into the grave, the cave with him, if we have died with him, then what is there to hold on to? You are not no longer living for the flesh, but the spirit of God. You resurrect. What do you think the baptism means? So many people are focused on the baptism, trying to seek a man to baptize him, but they're not seeking the presence of God. You want the presence of God? Die to self. You want the fire? Crucify yourself. The problem is I see even in messianic synagogues as well as Christian churches, many are just teaching a dead doctrine. They look zealous. They're on stage saying, amen, amen, glory to God. Where's the glory? If the multitudes are gathering and loving it, if the, de the dead churches and synagogues are sitting here like, tor, 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 and they see all that say, hey, break terms. Great. Well, where's the fire? You guys are dead. You're sitting in a synagogue with no life. If the Spirit's really there, why aren't you getting out? The Spirit is not going to let you just sit there, guys. It's going to draw you. I got to do something. I got to do something. God crucified me. Use me. I got to be useful in your field. Because I'm not trying to put a burden on you. I'm trying to get you, your minds on the heavenly things. There's so much more in this life than what we're even looking for. What we see, the things the world sees is not the kingdom of God. The things you can't see is the kingdom of God. Things we're seeking to hear is not the kingdom of God. The things that we don't want to hear most of the time is the kingdom of God. It's going to burn this flesh. Does it make sense? Those who are truly born again and preparing for the kingdom has one soul set on living and the spirit of God in the renewed garden. Preparing for the kingdom, eternal life, not allowing sin to rule in one's body, but rather preparing for the eternal kingdom as 2 Peter 3.13, where righteousness dwells. Let us all be ready. We all should be going through the wilderness, entering the garden and going into the cave. For in doing so, we'll be ready at all times. The secret is not a secret. The mystery is not a mystery. Either you're living for the world and flesh or dying to the world and the flesh. Either you're alive in the spirit or ignoring the work of the Holy Spirit and its work within. Those without the spirit cannot understand or comprehend the th things of God. 1 Corinthians 2.14. Now a natural man does not accept the things of the rock Elohim, the spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them. Because they're spiritually discerned. And as 1 John 4.5 says, they are from the world. So they speak from the world and the world listens to them. What is popular is never true. And what is true is never popular. If the world seems to understand and the masses are gathering, it's not the Holy Spirit. It can't be. Look how many, again, 0.3 to 1% follow God, 7,000, which is around two, near 2 million during the times of Israel and Elijah's day. The numbers today is likewise small but there is a remnant, nevertheless. God is putting people in cities to do the will of God. Now look, truly, PC leaves us, and PC is bring, he will get, bring us 
Keep your eyes looking up. In these times, we need to stay close to God and not give an inch to the flesh. Be careful. He's returning soon. Don't let anyone say otherwise. Keep the hope and faith. People will come to you and say, but this has this come on, as, as, has this been going on as it always has? Since the beginning? How do you know this is the end times? How do you know it's the end times? Because God's going to be telling you. It's the end times. You could die tomorrow, and that's your end times right there. Why are we trying to figure out the revelation where we're at in the timeline instead of living right now for the kingdom? Stop trying to figure out, otherwise you're taken away by the signs and wonders of the world. Listen, listen. We need to set our hopes on the kingdom, not worry about the world's doing. Don't be worrying what's going on in Afghanistan. Don't be worrying what's going on with the vaccine. Start focusing on God. This is what we need to do. The vaccine's force has forced. I'm not getting it. It's up to you to do it. They're keeping you distracted so that you don't truly see what's really going on that's living for the kingdom. So you're not shut in with God too busy watching the news instead of the kingdom. We all get through that. The kingdom was not for those entertained and amused by the world. I'm not trying to be mean about the TV and what you view on social media and distractions. It's the fact that in these days ahead or even at his return, how will you see the kingdom when all you viewed was the world? When all you saw is the praises of men. Some people are trying to make messages to give to people. I'm not saying some of you, some of you are trying to reach people in order to gain more praise from God or man. You don't have to share everything that God gives you. That's sometimes there's a relationship between you and him. In a marriage, are you going to share every single thing that happens in your marriage? We won't. God wants intimacy. Not always to share everything that you give in intimacy. How will you hear God's voice when all you heard was the world? The church anymore has become the world. You can't tell the two apart. They waver between two opinions. So even the popular preachers fall right into the backslider's circus like clowns to entertain the goats. He said, repent and be immersed in Yeshua. If people are immersed in the, in the church and the word rather than him, they're immersed in the man rather than God. They want man to immerse them, baptize them. They're seeking for a man like you're waiting for a man to marry you or a woman. Baptize in the spirit and fire. He said, I baptize you in spirit and fire. What do you think the baptism represents? Dying in the grave and coming back to life. We keep winning and coming back to the water of the repentance as if to be like the Pharisees, never truly dying to the flesh and being baptized and made new in the spirit of God as slaves. If you don't like the word, you are still a slave to the world and believe in a false gospel message with no power to save. You're a slave to righteousness or to sin. And if your flesh is twitching like this, every time you hear law, anytime you hear a message where somebody's yelling, you're like, ugh, can't take it. I want somebody that gives a smooth talk and flattery. He said that would happen in the last days. False prophets would come speaking smooth talk and flattery. Let me give you a word of encouragement today, buddy. I got an encouraging word from God. Let's go into the words. They're going to twist it because they're emotional-based. They're not truly sanctified and changed. This is what's going on. The apostasy would happen. It's a backsliding. It's a deception. When we say we're not going to continue, we mock and scoff and turn away from the true word. And those speaking it because we want to get over to a false truth, a half-truth, something watered down that makes us feel good. You're feeling, you're feeling stressed today. You're feeling depressed. 
Well, give me a word. Give me a verse that tells me something about that. God doesn't work that way. He says, eat my entire bread of life, my word. Not morsels and crumbs. We're excited to go and get a full plate of meal at a restaurant, but then when it comes to God's word, it's like, where's the verse? For all who profess the name of Jesus will be saved. Is that all it takes? Come to the altar. Five minutes. So easy a man can do it. It's not even that. The sacrifice is giving up your life. The spirit will come where you're at and it will die right there. I didn't never repent from coming to an altar or hearing some knowledge. What I heard was the word of God. When I truly knew Yeshua was alive, what did I do? I was dead, lifeless, without any control of my body, dead. Said, I'm not leaving this place, God, until you fill me. Until I know that you're real. Until your son, if you're real, come to me. If your flesh is twitching, it's evident that this right, stubbornness and rebellion rules one's life. The kingdom is not for the righteous in one's own heart. It's for the low lie, the meek, the humble. Going back to David. Going back to who Yeshua saw. Brothers, do you mind putting out? The desperate for salvation in the presence of God. Those that know they need a savior and have no healing or righteousness of their own. The blind could not see to covet in lust. The lame could not walk in their own path nor direction. The deaf could not hear the world. The deaf could not hear. The dead does not strive for the world. The sick cannot feel health in the world. Yet Yeshua went to all those struggling with all of the above. The lame, the sick, the blind, the deaf. It's better to die once than to die twice. It's better to die once than to die twice. The world and the most of the professing believers are already dead, professing to be alive. While hell sees the dead who live for the world. While heaven sees those who have died in the world and live for the kingdom. The kingdom is for those healed from sin who were grieved over the world. Hell is for those who have loved their sin in the world. Did Yeshua say, if one eye causes you to sin, to pluck it out? Better to plug it out than to, than to be burned for eternity. Many hate those speaking the messages like these. But if you were truly died and been resurrected to life, why would you hate those who have nothing to lose in this life? Those who have already died and been resurrected in the spirit right now have nothing to lose. So therefore, what can man do to them? Why are they hated? As Yeshua says, do not fear those who can feel, kill the flesh, but rather those who can kill both the flesh and the soul and cast them both into Gehenna or hell. Those who have given their soul to God, no man can snatch them out of his hands. But those yet to give up their soul and trust in emotions will jump out. The flesh is blind, it cannot see, but the spirit gives sight to those, the soul that bleeds. Out of Yeshua's side came water and blood. One who is immersed in Yeshua is cut with conviction and bleeds and then, then washed clean with the water of life. Have we truly been immersed and died with him? As Yeshua says, those who lose their lives will gain it. Yet the, why hold on to a single breath? Why? Did Yeshua on the cross instead, shouldn't we, we 
Say not your will, but your will, God. Not my will, but yours, Abba Father. He didn't hold on to a single breath. Like Yeshua did in the garden before being taken to the cross. A surrendered soul bears the cross, willing to be beat, betrayed, spit on, mocked, and scoffed. Forgiving the hall. Yet willing to go to the crucifixion for the sake of those who not only hate them, but love them. What is it to count righteousness if those who, if you love those that hate you or love those that love you? It should be both. Pray for them. What's it do you to pour out your pride and say, forgive me. I'm only human and I make mistakes. Why do you have to be right all the time? Let the person be right. Let this person be right. Sacrifice pours out. Yet have we poured out. A sacrifice dies, yet are we willing to die for him? A sacrifice forgives, yet are we forgiven like him? A sacrifice obeys, yet are we willing to obey him to the cross and be crucified ourselves? Do you, you see yourself crucified with him or him crucified for you? If you're not on the cross, then why follow that what has been crucified? Who you can't see and hate those who have been crucified who you can't see. He says, blessed are those who believe, who have not seen me. And what you have done for these least of these, you have done for me. Yet who are the least if we feel great? Yeshua was the least and so are the blind, the lame, the sick. Yet instead of desiring to live the same life that he lived, we have to refuse to be crucified, believe ourselves to be more greater than him. We want one hand in the world, and one hand on the cross, it's either we're crucified or not at all. Either we die with him or not at all. Those who die with him, those who don't, will not see the eternal life in the kingdom. He died for all, but why, why just let him do it? Why are we fighting for each other? We're fighting against each other and against with each other. Instead of loving and unity, why not forgive so that devil doesn't take a foothold in you? Friends, I'm here to tell you, he sat there on the cross, pain. People laughed at him, gambled for his clothes. We're over here making divisions, gambling with each other's clothes. We're making a mockery of his cross and his sacrifice. I'm not speaking to any of you, I'm speaking to all of us, even me. How do we know when we have been crucified? Guys, we can't just keep stabbing the spears in each other. How do we know we've been crucified of goals, dreams, ambitions, the pride of life, desire for gain and obtain more, achieve more, and to make more is gone. If there is nothing you desire in this life except the presence of God, if one delights in prayer, yet has anguish for the lost and reach the lost, but able to rejoice with joy and hope and faith knowing he's coming back, you're in a good place. If you have rest and peace, you're in a good place. One cannot deceive themselves even while alone. You'll know if you have truly been crucified. For if you haven't, you will be afraid of losing things or somebody 
or afraid of what might come upon this earth, whether war, famine, concentration camps, something forced by government leaders, or losing one's career, food, house, money, or car. For those in such a position, it's time to set your eyes on the kingdom. If we're satisfied living without revival in people's lives, then we are not where God wants us to be. If we truly have said, I repent and believe, you have no time of your own or rights of your own. It's God's time and you're owned by him. Say, I don't want to be a slave. You're a slave. Either to sin or righteousness, to him or the world. He bought you for a price, something that no man could pay. No man could pay. Each sin has a price. If each sin costed thousands of dollars, imagine how much in debt you would be. Yeah, he crucified himself and said, in a perfect lamb without spot or blemish, said, I crucified my life for this man, for this woman, this one. I don't care what you did in the past. What I don't care about is what you did right now. I want you in my kingdom. Doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It's what God wants you. He's calling you. He said, come to me. All who are thirsty, all who are hungry. He didn't just die for the righteous, he died for the dead. I don't speak to the living, I speak to the dead. The deaf, the blind, the lame, the sick. I'm not going to the well, I'm going to the dead. The sick that's hungry and needs a savior. That's who we are to be. We're satisfied with living without revival in people's lives and we're not where God wants us to be. If you truly have said our pen, believe, you have no time of your own or rights of your own. It's God's time and you're owned by him. Our own desire in this life should be the presence of God, not blessings, not happiness, not peace, nor joy, but only him. And if you do, that will come. The true joy is knowing and acting on God's will for your life. I recall the Sermon on the Mount, Yeshua never blessed material things or money. Yet as the church gets richer, the spirit becomes poor in our lives and deprived of fervency and desperation. Sadly today, many want to come to the altar, profess to repent with tears, followed with emotionalism. But the things at the altar, it's a place of death and sacrifice not just tears, not a cheap grace, but a grace that burns the flesh and removes the stony heart. A truth in a word that cuts the fat off the flesh and purifies the mind. The fire of God will never fall on an altar that is not willing to be pleasing and useful for God. It falls on a sacrifice. He will never fall the fire of God, listen to me. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. The sacrifice of God will never fall. This fire and spirit of God will never fall on an altar that is not willing to be pleasing and useful for God. It falls on a sacrifice. Get up on the altar and be crucified. You wonder why you don't have this fire? Because you're not willing to be crucified. He didn't say just touch it. He said, get up on there with me. A sacrifice pleasing and acceptable to God. Yeshua is acceptable, yet why not be crucified and come to life with him? What we need with, our, with, with believers in this dark hour is brokenness and confession. 
desperation and starvation, starvation from the world and hunger for God's word, brokenness from sin and life in him, confession of wrongs and revival through the cross, brokenness in heart and soul and mind and resurrection and healing through the death and life in him. Truly one who has the spirit bears fruit rather than thorns. One who has peace and joy, not condemnation nor guilt. Joy refreshes the bone and peace gives light rest to the soul. May we rest in him and have joy for the kingdom. That the spirit have authority over your entire life right now. The choice is yours. God wants one type of people, holy, holy, holy. Nothing else but holy living people through grace by faith, kept by the power of God through his righteousness and not our own. His works and not our own. The only reason one can give up or struggle with this is that they are yet to give up their own life and allow his spirit to work in you and through you and burn the flesh off. For Philippians 1.21 says, for to me, to live is Christ, Yeshua, and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ Yeshua, and to die is gain. Paul knew the secret he desired to leave this earth, but for the sake of others, he desired to stay for Yeshua, Christ's will. And to die is a gain. He knew that if he died, he'd have greater gain in the kingdom. But he desired to suffer Many things. For all, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Is not this is for any other way except he was shipwrecked, starving for three weeks, beaten, scoffed, mocked at, put in prison and chains. And we say, this person is a Paul, but this person has flashing lights and fog machines. And we say, this man is great. He hasn't even suffered, but look at his life. He was a drug addict. Doesn't matter. Why is he living in this? There's no sacrifice. Where's the sacrifice if they become rich in the world and not poor for others and see the kingdom of God? Poor Paul never glamorized the gospel was bloody. He never changed, made it nice and glamorous with nice and riches. So you come in and it's a party in the church. There is no parties. But the church today is too busy with Halloween parties, Christmas parties, every other party. Too busy setting our cedar plates and saying this is, this is a party. The cedar place may be good, but guys, we're not going to have that in the wilderness. You can't get these things done, you know, the, the things that you take pleasure in, in the wilderness. The time is coming, you're going to have to choose to buy or sell. You're buying into the kingdom or you're just selling your life. You want to buy and sell and make money? 
you're gonna have to make a choice. The choice is yours. God knows what's in your heart. Even if you can fool a pastor, you can fool me, you can fool anybody else, but you cannot fool God. God sees all things and knows all things. I'm not yelling at anybody. I don't want you to feel like that you are not worthy of God. There's one thing that I toil for. It's one thing I cry for. It's one thing I live my life for and die for is that people will come to know him. You don't have to be like me, but be like him. You don't have to follow me, but follow Yeshua. I'm just trying the best way I can to be a perfect example of him. Joyful in anguish, joyful in anguish, joyful in anguish. I love each one of you. His kingdom is coming. And soon the tears and sorrows and pain and anguish will all be gone. The crucifixion is something that we'll never be able to understand completely. But I pray we do. I pray not only I, but all of us. God is looking for a sacrifice, not just ones that kneel off the cross. But yet those will be joyful over his resurrection because you have resurrected with him. He promised you his give you a helper and that helper will never be taken away. If you know you've been born again, walk in the spirit, not the flesh. When you've gone up to a cross, you know one thing for certain that a man is not coming back. A man that's been crucified, there's no going back to the world. You're dead. You're dead. The crucifixion is not a place to play. It's a place to die. Now, may we be in fear and reverence of him always, but bring glory to his name. Not profaning his name, but glorifying his name. Praising his name, worshiping in his name, with reverence and awe. God bless you and keep you. God be gracious to you, shine his face upon you, give you his mercy and his peace. God lift his countenance upon you always. I pray for each one of you that God, you, you sanctify them so we may be like you at your coming, so we may glorify with you and praise your name for now and all eternity. We love you. Praise and worship your name. Bless always be in all of you. Yeshua's name, amen. I'll be standing over here if anybody needs me.